Frustrated with toxic people, they can't see how much they hurt me. I just want this chaos to cease. Here's your host, Dr. Shayla, my source for how to live a life of peace. Find peace in the midst of toxic negativity. Welcome to the Toxic People Detox, a practical guide for finding peace in the midst of toxic people. It's not about changing them, but changing how you respond to them and doing so in a productive, healthy way. This is episode six, keeping calm in an argument, five tips. One thing someone asked me is, how do you keep an argument from escalating? We've all been in that situation where we're trying to be helpful. We have the best of intentions, but when we talk to somebody, (laughs) we start arguing and then it gets out of hand and it escalates. The simple answer is, You can't control what another person does, but you can control how you respond and what you do. If you're ever in an argument, here's some ways to stay calm in that argument and to keep it from escalating. So arguments escalate. The simple answer is that there's a refusal of both parties to back down. It becomes a clash of ego. And I like to say that a battle of ego has no winner. And then another reason is some people just love drama. They don't want solutions. For whatever reason, they feel disempowered, so they start arguments to regain some illusion of control. And if you fall prey to that, then you get caught up in that, and then the arguments can get out of hand. Before I talk about the tips, I would like to lay some ground rules. This is something that should be done before you get into an argument, because when you're not arguing with someone, you can be objective, But if you wait until an altercation is too late, you can easily get riled up if you don't lay this foundation. And that's why many people have trouble staying centered in an argument. Here's some ground rules that I tend to follow. Now feel free to adopt them as your own or modify them. Number one, this is the most important thing to me. And that is, I will never take responsibility for something outside of my control. If there's an argument relating to something, let's say I was with a student and they were arguing about the core curriculum, you know, I teach this class for the non-majors. Teaching biology, I've got math majors, computer science majors, music majors, basically everyone but biology. And then they wanna pick a fight and I said, look, I have no control over how the curriculum is. Can we focus on what I can control? And that's what goes on inside this classroom. You don't have to like biology. You don't have to like me, but you do have to pass this class. And if you pass this class, you never have to take biology again. How about that? And that usually stops that. My second rule is I refuse to let people derail the conversation. Basically keep the conversation centered. If the topic at hand is about point A, then I don't let the other person dwell on point B because nothing gets accomplished. We go from A to B to K to L to Z to the, and so nothing ever gets done. And before we know it, we're probably arguing in circles. So I refuse to let a conversation derail without solving the main issue first. And then my third rule is that I give people the right to believe whatever they want to believe. Let me say that again. You have the right to believe whatever you want to believe. That alone helps me to avoid a lot of arguments because it frees me from the desire to say, look, I believe this. You have no right to believe this. 
So you need to believe what I need to believe. <laughs> okay. You have the right to believe that I'm the ugliest, fattest, dumbest, this, that, and the other thing. That's fine. As long as you don't act it out. Okay. So if you come at me trying to pick a fight about my character, I'm like, okay, that's cool. Can we move on? All right. So those are my ground rules. Again, feel free to adopt them as you wish. Now let's talk about some techniques. The first technique is very powerful. In fact, I think they all are, but this one can stop an argument before it even happens. And that is give the other person a way out. We've all been in that situation where we said something, we kind of shot our mouths off. And the minute we said or did something, we immediately regretted it. We know we've stepped over the line. I was arguing with a relative and I said something I knew I shouldn't have said. And I, oh my gosh, it just, it just kind of slipped out. But then rather than responding to me and say, how dare you say that to me? My relative gave me a way out basically leaving the conversation wide open for me to take this in another direction. Otherwise we're probably going to get into a confrontation and guess what? I took the way out. I backed down. I said, okay, you know, I'll take it. And I was grateful. And I'll talk about a situation where I was the one who gave a personal way out. Now, one example is I had a student who confronted me in front of the class during an exam. She turned her exam into me. And she said, you know, we need to step outside, you and me right now. Of course, the other students now, because of this is going on, they couldn't focus on their exam. So everyone's looking at me wondering how I was going to respond to that. And I could tell from her body language that she kind of got upset in the moment. She got angry. Something got on her nerves and she decided to act out. And the minute she did, I could tell she regretted what she was doing because she had crossed that line. She didn't want to back down. So I said, you know what? How about we talk about this after the exam is over? She walked out of the room. She said, okay, and walked out. What, what did I do? I gave her the way out. Now I could have said, how dare you talk to me like that? You don't do that to me. And then I guarantee you that situation would not have ended well if I had done that. Okay. So there it was. I could tell she regretted it. So I gave her a way out and said, okay, come talk to me after the exam, which she did. All right. Technique number two discover what the real issue is. Every now and then I get an email from a parent and I, I make it a point not to respond to emails, but this one I had to, this was a long drawn out email. This thing was like four pages long. And basically the parent was upset that the student received a certain grade on a quiz. Now, of course, I'm not at liberty to discuss grades that students make because it's sort of kind of illegal. But she sent me this letter saying that, you know, <laughs> you're the worst teacher in the history of ever. And she started calling me names, uh, by the way, which is a, f a logical fallacy called argument at Hahnemann. She's attacking me rather than the issue at hand. So how did I determine what the issue was? It wasn't the grade. You know how I could tell? Because that's not what she spent most of her time talking about. She was talking about the financial aid process and how her daughter was suffering because she wasn't getting her financial aid. She was talking about the registration process and how her daughter's classes weren't being put in properly. There's some other issues going on here besides the grade, but for whatever reason, that grade just kind of set everything off. So when I actually responded to that email and I said, you know, I understand the frustration with financial aid because I've been there too as a student myself and registration can be a pain. However, 
Now, this goes back to my ground rule. I will not take responsibility for things outside of my control. And I stop the argument by saying, if you have issues with financial aid, please go to the financial aid director. If you have issues with registration, please direct that toward the registrar. Since I do not have control over those issues, I will not address them further. Therefore, I will focus on what I can control, and that is what goes on inside my class. And I pretty much stopped that argument down the tracks just by doing that. And I focused only on the grade. Now, like I said, I couldn't discuss the grade. But the way I handled that situation was to say, well, please refer to my syllabus and this part on this page, this paragraph or whatever it was, you and your child can discuss this amongst yourselves. Now, keep in mind, we're talking about someone who's like in their mid twenties, but yeah, I had to address that. The parent was frustrated. If you look beyond that, and I didn't even address the name calling. I didn't, to me, it was just juvenile. So I didn't even bother to acknowledge that, but I addressed the real issue. It was frustration with the administration. I'm not an administrator. I'm a professor. Therefore, please take that to where it needs to go. That was the real issue. And then I sympathize by saying, look, I understand these things can be frustrating, but in order to solve your problem, take it to where it needs to go. And that was it. I never heard from her again. Okay. So that's technique number two, discover the real issue. How can you tell, listen at what the other person focuses on, whatever they focus on, that's the real issue. Okay. Technique number three, acknowledge the issue and call them out on it. Here are three words that I believe are very effective in a situation like this. If someone comes at you with something, I say, really? Okay, then, and then insert whatever it is that I need to say. Now, an example, here is another email that I got from a parent. The parent said, how dare you put questions on the test that you didn't go over in class? And of course, the thing that comes to my mind, now, how do you know that's what I'm doing? I guess that's what the person's child told her that I was doing. So I sent an email reply, said, really? Okay, then whenever you and your daughter get a chance, please come by my office, tell her to bring her notes, and then I'll have the test out. And then she can point to the questions that have concepts that I did not go over in class. You know how she responded to that? She never did because I call them out on the issue. I said, really? I'm acknowledging the issue. And then I say, okay, then I offered a solution. Another example was when a student came up to me and, and said, this class is the most confusing class I've ever taken. I said, really? Okay. Then could you tell me what aspect of this class confuses you the most? And then they're like, well, no, I, I don't have time for this. And then <laughs> she walked away. So that's how you solve that problem. If someone's bringing something to you, you say, really? Okay. I'm acknowledging what you're saying. Okay. Then you offer the solution. Sometimes that can stop. I'm not saying all the time, but sometimes that can stop an issue dead in its tracks because you're addressing the issue and you're calling them out on it. Like I said, some people don't want a solution. They just want drama. And when you present them with the solution, some of them will back down. Technique number four, <laughs> I love this one. Involve them in the process. Now, I don't let people put a burden on me that they themselves wouldn't carry. And here's what I mean. After my mother had passed away, 
I had a relative who came up to me and started arguing about getting a headstone for her. And then she said, you know, I would have thought by now you would have gotten your mother a headstone. To which my response was very simple. Well, if it means that much to you, why don't you buy it? End of discussion. She stopped the conversation right there. Why? Because I'm involving her in the process. Another issue came up where somebody wanted me to file a lawsuit. They said, you need to sue. You need to sue. I said, okay, I will do that on one condition. You find me the lawyer and then I'll sue. Again, end of discussion. And then now here's another example. Now, this wasn't an argument, though. I used to wear dreadlocks back in the day. And a friend of mine said, you know, I love your dreadlocks. And I was about to get them cut off. She said, no, don't cut them off. Keep them. I love them. And I said, I love them too, but I don't like the maintenance. I want to cut my hair. And she went on and on and on about how I should keep it. So I said, you know what? I'll tell you what. I will keep them. If you give me some gas money to go drive to this place where I can get my locks done. Hey, I would keep it. I will get any style you want to. Now we both laughed, but I got my point across. Again, this wasn't an argument. She was paying me a genuine compliment, but she wouldn't leave it alone. And so I finally had to say, okay, then why don't you do this for me? Then I'll do it. Sometimes when people cross that boundary and they start telling you what you need to do with your life, just involve them in the process, especially when money's involved. Technique number five, like I said before, with my ground rules, I keep the conversation centered, stay on topic. Technique number five is stay on topic. When I was talking again, I'd keep using examples from my students because they are fascinating case studies. I had one student was arguing about a quiz. She knew she was on the losing end of that argument. So she finally said, I'm entitled to my opinion. And I said, when did I say you weren't entitled to your opinion? Is that really the issue here? Whether or not you're entitled to your opinion? Then I got back on the subject at hand and that was the grade she received for her quiz. Okay, sometimes when people know they're on the losing end of an argument, they'll try to derail the conversation and bring something else in. If you take that bait and you follow that conversation, then an argument can easily get out of hand or the argument will never get solved because you're going from one topic to another to another. And I'll say, look, why don't we stay on this topic here? This is the topic at hand. Okay, because if we keep going, we're not going to solve this. So let's just focus on this one thing. Now, these are five techniques, some very quick tips that I found to be very effective. Now, when all else fails, be prepared to walk away. I said this in a previous podcast when I talked about the difference between toxic people and difficult people where I had someone gaslighting me. Now that is a pointless conversation because every time you call that person out on something, they will deny it. And it makes you question reality. That's what gaslighting means. And so once I realized that's the situation I was in, that conversation was over. I couldn't continue it. It didn't make sense because all they would do is just deny what I said anyway. So that is the final straw. Sometimes you have to walk away. And I know it's not sexy. Our society doesn't like us to back down. You have to fight, fight the good fight. No, sometimes you have to keep your sanity. You protect yourself you might need to walk away from that conversation. So these were just five quick tips for dealing with an argument, give the person a way out, discover the real issue, involve them in the process and stay on topic. And then the final thing is kind of a bonus. When all else fails, walk away. Sometimes walking away is the bravest thing you can do. 
All right, so this has been another episode of the Toxic People Detox. Subscribe, rate, and review. I would be most grateful. Until next time, I wish you peace in the midst of toxic people. Take care. Go to the Toxic People Detox. Dot com. Find peace in the midst of toxic negativity.